Welcome to the Global CISO Forum, the podcast for information security executives. Welcome to the Global CISO Forum podcast. I'm your host, Amber Petrincelli. We are uh, today talking to Mr. Wynn Schwartow. He is the, sec- the founder and the chief visionary officer of the security awareness company. Welcome, Wynn. Hey, how are you, Amber? I am great. And we have Wynn in the studio today to talk to us about two things. Um, one is Hacker Halted and the other is your brand new book. So you are on the speaker committee of Hacker Halted and we really, really appreciate that. Tell us how you think the uh, event is shaping up this year. Well, you, you, you're the one who allows us the freedom to do stuff that allow, to make the conference different. There are so damn many conferences out there that all do the same old stuff all the time, over and over, and it's all the zero days, and I hack this, and I hack that. And when we all get together, you allow us to kind of pursue other paths and other ideas uh, to shake things up a little bit. People want to be entertained and learn at a conference. Just boring old PowerPoint by slides, and it just doesn't work anymore. And so we thank you for the opportunity to uh, let us uh, make our visions uh, come to life. So this year, wow, it's even better than ever. Yeah, I'm really excited about it, too. Um and yeah, we could not do this without you. Uh, it's very win influenced this year and last year, and we love that. So you're opening things up again with a debate. I, oh, we are. Yeah, you are. You're doing the. I'm supposed. To, I'm, I'm supposed to know this, aren't I? <laughs> you are doing the AI to serve man. Uh, to serve man. Yeah, serve I, I man. bet not. Not too many people of your generation know where know where that comes from. I'll bet they don't. But after you explained it to me, it was quite funny. So. Well, the, yeah, it was the old Rod, it's the old Rod Serling Twilight Zone alien show when they come down to help out hum, humanity, mm-hmm. and then the back and forth, and we're going to trade t- culture and technology and all of that, and they leave a book accidentally lying around, and all the humans are getting on the spaceships to go transplant to the alien planet, and they finally translate the book, and mm-hmm. it's called To Serve Man, but it's a cookbook. <laughs> I mean... That is brilliant. And to apply that to AI, as far as the debate about if it's good for humanity or not, is just the kind of win-ism that we love having in our conference. <laughs> oh, God, I can't believe you let us pull this off. Yeah. And I've got I, I've got uh, Greg Carpenter, who is, uh, I think I'm allowed to say it. Well, if I'm not, he'll shoot me. I mean, he's an ex-spook, NSA, or CI, wherever the hell he did all of his stuff. Mm-hmm. So he has some tremendous insights, plus he's got 13 degrees, and he'll be on the debate with us. And then Michael Masucci, who is uh, <laughs> he, he's the arts commissioner from Santa Monica. Actually, Michael isn't on the debate, right? Isn't it Aaron Lint? Oh, I apologize, Michael. <laughs> you're right. No, Michael, was, we, 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 he was in Paris. It's Aaron Lint. And Aaron Lint is uh, also the ref for Hacker Jeopardy when we do it for kids and stuff. Oh. And, and he's absolutely brilliant technologist who understands an awful lot of the implications for security, AI. And I'm going to take these guys and the audience through some, well, um, we're going to begin with the trolleological conundrum. Uh-huh. And the trolley logical conundrum is an examination, and I invented the term because nobody else had yet, uh, to be able to look at the trolley problem 
under the guises of not only technology in the traditional way, but being able to add in some of the cultural things that would affect it. For example, the traditional trolley problem says, along comes this trolley down the hill, it's out of control. If it continues on the path and you're standing by and you have the power to switch it to another track, you have an instant decision to make. If you do nothing, you will allow five people to die. If you throw the switch, you are committing two people to death. What do you do? Now, let's start shaking it up a little. Mm-hmm. Let's say there's only one person on the first track, and he's white. If you switch it, the person on the other track is black. Will that influence the way that you make decisions? How does this apply to artificial intelligence? Because when you look at the sensory inputs and the way they are translated by AI and sensory systems, they are very, very fuzzy. And by which set of biases are we allowing these decisions to be made? And then you get even crazier. Then you say, when the bias is made, it creates a positive feedback loop. And when that positive feedback loop occurs, it reinforces the original decision, which is why and how Microsoft's initial uh, tweet bot became a racist in 24 hours. Right. So then let's take this whole thing and apply this to an autonomous vehicle in the U.S. Do you hit the eight little old ladies or two kids? Who makes that decision in order to guide the bias of the autonomous system? Then we take it overseas, and let's say to go to India. You have the choice, or the AI autonomous vehicle has the choice. 20 untouchables or two Brahmins. Which one does it ethically choose? So are we going to be able to find a universal set of agreed-upon cultural ethical decisions by which to allow the deployment of autonomous systems? That is what we're going to be talking about with the audience at Hacker Halted. I'll bet we get some uh, questions from the audience. I've, the questions are already coming in. At, in, in the, the, you know, this is mm-hmm. time, time shifting here. I'm already getting the questions. Amazing. All right. So you're doing that for us. Uh, also available at Hacker Halted will be your brand new book, uh, 20 Years in the Making. Um, analog- 19 years, but who's counting? Rounding to 20 because that sounds better. Um <laughs> Analog network security. How is it 20 years in the making? Have you been writing this thing for 20 years or what? All right. Um, actually, it began on a 22-hour trip to Warsaw, Poland with a buddy of mine from the DOD. And we were, we were going over to teach uh, the new apparatchiks in Poland about network security. And back in 95, all of us knew comparatively little. They didn't show up, uh, our contacts. So Bob and I found a bar, big surprise, we mm-hmm. decided to have just one beer, just mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. And then after several beers, the napkin came out, and he had some ideas based upon some work he'd been doing at DISA, the Defense Intelligence Systems Agency, on detection systems and trying to figure out why don't we ever notice penetrations. So this is almost 25 years ago. And so we did some napkins, and I wrote a book called Time-Based Security, which was uh, a very elementary way of looking at the universe in terms of bounding security conditions within time constraints. Mm -hmm. Something bothered me, though. It was like incomplete, not enough solution. It was a guideline, and I wanted to create real roadmaps 
real schematics. I really wanted to do solutions that made sense. So I started poking around, and this was actually on uh, the Indian Ocean. Uh, I was in Perth doing some work with uh, the Swedes and the Australian military, and I was poking around, oh, this doesn't work, and I'm doing my math, and nothing's working, nothing's working. So over the years, I kept re-engaging with it, attempting to find some answers. And about four years ago, I finally had that aha moment, all these pieces and started to come together, and I started putting them together. And then about three years ago, just a little over three years ago, I found a mathematician in Europe who I was able to take all of the work I had done for those 17 years and be able to formally make it a mathematical theorem. So then the last year has been hell, formalizing all this and trying to put it into a digestible format. And then I had a great adrenaline crash when the book went to the printer. Hmm. The goal of the book is mathematically provable security. And we've had it reviewed by mathematicians, by the leading security people around the world, including your own Chris Roberts, yeah. who uh, has, has been very, very kind to help out with uh, some of the reviewing and the mathematics. So we will be having that at Hacker Halted, and I know it will also be available from EC Council on your website in the next few weeks. Next few days, yes. Uh, we are getting next that few, going. No, well, it's going to be at least a couple weeks. Before we get it. Okay. But yeah, yeah. We'll, we do pre-sales, so. Um, oh, good. Do pre-sales. Yes. So it's all about measuring and quantifying security with math, right? Yes, absolutely. When you look at a traditional engineering system, well, you know, let, let's call it a, a car. We can say it goes 12 miles an hour, consumes uh, three gallons per mile, or whatever our measurements are. We have traditionally believed that security is not measurable. Mm -hmm. We have been able to come up with the, abs the techniques to be able to measure it, the mathematics to be able to support it, and the visualization tools to be able to actually see what it looks like and then compare it to other disciplines. The biggest disconnect that we have in our field is between security and risk. Mm -hmm. So we've developed tools, mathematical tools, to be able to have that connection using a common metric, and the common metric throughout everything is time. Wow, okay. The common metric is time. So it's, it's incorporating a lot of your ideas from your previous book then? It's using time as the fundamental metric that was overlooked. Bob uh, in the Warsaw Bar uh, we, we, that was the only metric we were using at that point. But today we need to include so many other types of metrics. When we look at data, people typically think of data as being static. It also has a time component to it. When we look at network operations, we look at them without considering that time is a fundamental component of that. That talks to ex data exfiltration. It talks to incident response. It talks to detection mechanisms. Yet we look at all of these different things as stovepipe individual technologies and defensive approaches. What we believe we have done is integrated them all under one single set of formulas. Okay, so where does the analog part come in? Well, the analog part is when people say, oh, we live in a digital universe. Uh, we do. But that does not mean it's a binary universe where there are only zeros and ones. So if we viewed security 
right now the tendency is to view it as, are you secure? Mm-hmm. And people go, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah is not exactly a yes, absolutely one. It is also not a zero. Mm-hmm. When we look at physics, when we look at the history of information theory, when we look at all the mathematics going back to Leibniz and throughout all the years, including George Boole back in the 1840s, what we find is that all of the conditions that are meaningful exist somewhere in between zero and one, but never absolutely reaching them. When we apply this thinking to security, new answers appear. Hmm. Security's goal is to get rid of infinity, because infinity, which is an unbounded uppercase condition, is where we are today when we don't know that we have been penetrated. We don't know how long incident response takes. So we need to bound these conditions within a couple of different criteria. One of them is time, and the other one is a dynamic trust factor, which is a function of time as well. When we tie, to example, two networks together, a trusted partner, mm-hmm. we tend to treat that trusted partner relationship when we connect our networks as a static condition. Okay, I trust E and Y. Sure, cool. Let's tie them together with IBM. Then we forget about it. Mm-hmm. Now, what happened with Robert Hansen of the FBI and Alder James with the CIA? They were both high-level Soviet intelligence analysts who had not been revetted for year upon year upon year, even though upon examination now, their behavior, their finances were certainly suspect. Hmm. There was no revetting going on. So you need to, in any real-world application, analyze it through the use of feedback, negative feedback loops, and OODA loops in order to be able to constrain both your upper and lower time-based boundaries. That is analog, and that is the basis of how to make systems, whether they be physical, cyber, or human, actually become secure. Okay, and through this, we can solve fake news. Oh, absolutely. Fake news is is fairly easy to solve. Uh, Phishing, pretty damned easy to solve. Uh, We can find the 50 million people at home whose machines are all infected. Mm-hmm. We can stop. We can stop spam. We can stop DOS and DDoS, uh, data exfiltration from networks. All of the models, the mathematics, and the schematics for this on how to build them are in the book. Wow. Wow. So you know, I mean, this is the Global CISO Forum podcast, and I also run the Global CISO Forum event. Um, how many CISO level people do you think are aware of this this concept? Uh, let's see, one. <laughs> Chris Roberts. <laughs> oh, well, I don't know. Is he a CISO? I, I, think, I thought he was, oper- he's I thought he was CSO, operations. Or he's in a new yeah. role now, so who knows? I had a, a, a good number of advisors for review on the book. Um, some professors, mathematicians, but, and then over the year, I, I'm going to maybe 20 people. Are okay. aware of it uh, of that it actually 
the math holds up, uh, that can actually understand the concept of it because the again the book has not been released so that's almost an un- that's a gotcha question there Amber <laughs> I don't know the answer but not many because not many. this is really where I'm I'm dropping my shorts and putting my career on the line really well okay I guess the point of my question was was not to be a gotcha but to be <laughs> to set you up to say not enough and that it's important to the CISO level and maybe they're not getting the message. Oh, it was a softball question. It was a I softball. Missed it. And I missed it. Ah, oh, damn. When you're bad. Um, I am hoping that enough of the geeks who will get the math, who will understand the theory, who will be able to shift their brains from a purely digital binary mindset to one that is a time-based analog mindset, will get that, that um, aha moment and be able to go to the less technically oriented management and say, dude, the wind's got something here. We've got to try this out. An awful lot of what's in the book can be done without buying new products. Just go off and code a little bit. Measure it yourself. One of the problems that we have in the industry is we have vendors out there that go, um, my product's better than Bob's. Mm-hmm. Well, Mary's product says hers is better than Frank's. And Frank says, oh, they all suck. No, mine's the only decent one. Mm-hmm. Well, how do I know that? Trust me, I'm your sales guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> but nobody has really, with the exception of NSS Labs to a certain extent, been able to quantify the measurement of these products. And we'll talk largely about IDS, IPS, SIM-level, detection-level and reaction-level products in the MDR space. Mm-hmm to be able to measure them. I see. So we offer the math and the schematics. Here is how you can compare IDS-A and IDS-B. And when you measure them in the time domain, very interesting things occur. We have been able to, and we're not going to publish the data because it was done not under the best conditions. We were trying to prove our points to ourselves. But what we're finding and expecting to occur more is orders of magnitude between two and three orders of magnitude between 100 and 1,000 times differential in the efficacy performance of products that claim to be the same thing. Really? Yes. I so mean, if product A ends up being 100 times different than product B, somebody's got some serious explaining to do, Lucy. Right, and this explains how people, I mean, you you throw a bunch of money at your problem and you just don't end up with the results you think you're going to. It doesn't even sound like they're the same product that are being sold as the same thing, right? Well, that's the point. We, we don't know. Mm-hmm. We are not sure. So when you have, let's take, for example, uh, an antivirus product, just something simple. Mm-hmm. So you got five of them lined up, and we, we the typical metric is, here is a sample of 1.3 billion known bad clusters of hostile code. And then they run them through these boxes, and they look for the efficacy of how many do they detect. Then the vendors come out and say, well, we found 99.3%. They only found 97.4%. And we hear these numbers. Mm -hmm. Those numbers have statistical probabilistic meaning 
only if you put them inside the time domain. Otherwise, those are static, meaningless numbers. Hmm. So now, let's take those numbers and apply them to the time domain. How long did it take product A to achieve 98% detection? How long did it take product B, C, D? What amount of time was involved in each one of those? Then you add on the detection rates, and you can end up with a probabilistic curve to begin to determine the relative efficiency and efficacy of each product. Anything else is vendor bullshit. Yeah, I, I, I haven't heard that before. That's... That's because they're terrified. I mean, some of the vendors that I've talked to over the years, and especially when I started, I say, they said, you're serious? You're really going to publish all this stuff? <laughs> yeah. What are the results going to be? I say, I, I don't know. If I can just help make the field honest, I think I'd be very happy with my contribution. Uh, I think that would be an amazing contribution. Um, that would be a great legacy, even. But let's... That means I can come back to Hacker Halted next year? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, I got a pre-invitation, which gives me a mulligan if I screw up this year. Thank you, Amber. <laughs> Not that you would. And while we're on the subject, you have a freebie code that people can use to register for Hacker Halted. Are you, is that not correct? I do have a freebie code. Um, I don't know what it is off the top of my head because it's plugged into mm -hmm, my social media channels. Yeah, so you can find Wayne on social media or you can go to hackerhalted.com, hit the register button and use the discount code HH2018WS uh, and you can register for free. Uh, WS is for Win Schwartow, I hope. It is. It is. You cracked wow. our code. <laughs> Damn. You know, I've always been great at crypto. <laughs> yeah. That was, a, that was a test and you passed. It was amazing. Um, and I have to say, so looking at the, the preview version of the book, um, which will be available at Hacker Halted for sale, it's, it's beautiful. You know, it doesn't look like your standard security book that, you know, they tend to look like textbooks. They're, they tend to be very straightforward. Yours has some artistry in it. You want to talk about that a little bit? Well, I knew from the very beginning um, several things. One, I was going to be introducing a lot of new concepts to people who had never been exposed to analog engineering. Number two, uh, people today, especially a lot of your generation, no offense, but they don't <laughs> read anymore. Right. And long paragraphs, um, I think the last long paragraph book your generation read was Harry Potter. <laughs> Probably. So when you're trying to explain something that is potentially very complex, because there are so many moving pieces, each one of which is relatively simple, but when you start gluing them all together is where the complexity arises, I really like using visuals. I mean, if you just go to any PowerPoint, Hacker Halted, for example, the guy that stands up there and has 32 columns, a four-point type on his PowerPoint slide is putting the audience to sleep, and suddenly they just don't give a crap. Mm -hmm. However, if somebody's got a great picture up there with one or two words or a sentence, they are now communicating in a multimedia format, and in today's environment, that is how we communicate and better absorb this, learn information. So we took that approach, and I think you know Kaylee Melton. I do. Uh, she's worked for me for seven years, and she took the <laughs> unfortunate job. I'm going to illustrate your book. And so she's been at it uh, with uh, Alyssa Phillips and uh, somebody else who uh, is on our staff to create the characters, to create the look and feel, to make sure that all the math looked good, that 
all of the concepts tied together properly. And then uh, my wife was uh, intimately involved in the editing of it. And the final, after the copy that you've got, there, were, there was one more review, and there were 3,000 more edits that my wife and I did in three weeks. Oh, my God. Yeah, so it was a combination not only of the wording and storytelling, because as you may have noticed, there's a lot of stories in there, mm -hmm. in order to be able to give people context. Because just giving people facts is boring, but putting them into a contextual environment that they can relate to and create either the metaphors or similes or the analogs, if you will, of the, of the stories and make them meaningful in their world, it requires graphics, math, and words. So we went with the full multimedia and said, why not make this the most beautiful network security book ever written? And I think you did. Um... I really appreciate the picture that you included of yourself with your steampunk goggles in the tuxedo. <laughs> My wife tried to talk me out of that. <laughs> really? I think it's great. <laughs> it's just, I, I take this work exceedingly seriously, but at the same time, you can have a lot of fun with it. And I, I wore that, that whole outfit with all the steampunk to watch and everything to the RSA Awards uh, two years ago. I love it. And uh, I got, uh, it was in San Francisco, so basically I didn't look any different than anybody else in San Francisco. <laughs> I was just pretty much ignored. You didn't stand out. Well, I think what no, it shows... No, not there. Yeah, <laughs> that you take your work seriously, but not yourself too seriously. Well, I mean... Which is I refreshing. Can be, I can be wrong. I, I want to be wrong. I don't want to be 100% right, because that would mean, well, there's no more to learn. Right, And this is uh, about learning and exploring and getting new ideas and hopefully teaching some of the generations that are coming along on this that the way you're going to learn more isn't by being right. It's by making mistakes. It's by embracing failure. And a lot of the examples in the book are about the failures that I and various other people in our relative industries have had over the years. Knowledge comes from failure much more than from success. Agreed. Well, it looks like a very exciting book. I'm excited to get my hands on a copy um, and maybe even get it signed by you in Atlanta. If I oh, I charge it. a lot for the signatures. The book is cheap, <laughs> but the signatures, ha-ha. Uh -huh. <laughs> All right. Well, I will start saving and uh, possibly be able to afford it when we're there. Thank you so much for coming, um, and I can't wait to see what you have in store for us at Hacker Halted. Well, I appreciate the opportunity and CISOs out there. Uh, just remember, uh, there are alternatives to doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results and still failing. And I hope that Analog Network Security offers you a little bit of a path in a new direction. Agreed. Thanks so much, Wynn. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Global CISO Forum, the podcast for information security executives.